You're listening to AIB Market Talk with our latest financial market update. Hello and welcome to our weekly AIB Market Update on Tuesday the 30th of June. I'm Tom Hall from our Customer Treasury Unit and I'm joined this week by AIB's Chief Economist Oliver Mangan. And this week we're going to look at the Brexit negotiations which has some intervention from Boris Johnson and the senior EU diplomats in the last few weeks trying to get off onto a better tone and get some urgency into them. And then we'll look at the data that's going to drive the markets later on in the week. So turning firstly to Brexit, which is, I think, June 2016 seems a huge long time ago. And we're still here talking about it and still apparently in stalemate until um, Boris Johnson got on the video call to EU leaders at the end of a period where, you know, we were left with we're not going to have an extension and looking like we're going to have some sort of hard, nasty exit. What's going to happen in this week, Ollie? You're absolutely right. I mean, the EU-UK trade talks have made very little progress in the first half of the year, but both sides have been very wary of giving ground. So Boris Johnson, as you said, met some senior EU leaders, as he said himself, to put some oomph into the negotiations. So what they're saying is intensifying negotiations actually started yesterday and they will last for the month of July. And they're hoping to make progress on that front. Now, the lack of progress, as you said, and the fact that the UK has ruled out an extension to the Brexit transition period has left markets worried. And it's, you know, it's hard to believe that if we go back to last January or February, you know, Euro sterling was around 83, 84p, and it's been sliding ever since. And in recent days, it went through 90, and yesterday it went above 91p. So, so markets are concerned at the lack of progress and that if we don't get a trade deal in the year, we'll be effectively facing a hard Brexit at the start of 2021. The UK are going to trade under WTO rules, which would mean tariffs, etc. So obviously that would be a worry if that was to happen. Negotiations started yesterday and at a political level, I think there's a desire to get a deal done. I have to say in more recent times, we're beginning to see both parties move positions slightly. The UK have been sending signals that there is scope for movement on state aid rules, which is a big requirement on the UK side that they would, as a sovereign country, having left the EU, that they could establish or pursue what state aids they want. Now, there'll obviously be some restrictions on that. And on the other hand, then, I mean, the EU is clear in terms of we have some sort of level playing field on trade, common regulatory rules and alignment. A way around that, maybe for the EU and the UK to agree, maybe some common minimum regulatory standards, and then the UK can set its own guidelines once it adheres to that. They said, so, Oli, did they, both those seem like they're, they're things that the EU has sort of seeded on, that the UK can go its own way, state aid and, you know, a common trade, but not quite as close as the EU would have wanted. What is the UK going to have to offer up to cement? What do the EU want? Is it just about the fisheries or what else is it that the, the, well, the uh, EU are going to seek as the barter for this? The key issue here is trade. I, I think other things such as fisheries rights, cooperation, security arrangements, some form of governments. What I mean by that is that, that, you know, how do we resolve trade disputes between the EU and the UK in the future? I think if we can make real progress in the trade talks, then those issues will fall into line. What it does mean, Tom, or suggest to me is that we have much time left here. We're talking about July, then the EU goes into recess for August, they recommence in September, and everybody agrees to leave enough time to get a deal ratified and have to be agreed by October. So what it suggests is we're heading for is, is a minimal trade deal which will be largely focused, I think, on avoiding the imposition of tariffs and quotas. It'll be restricted to goods. It won't include services. In particular, financial services will not be part of the package. 
but I think it's recognised even if it's a minimal trade deal it preserves cordial relationships and it gives you something to build on in the future and coming years that it can be expanded on and it avoids this hard Brexit and the imposition of tariffs and the disruption to trade that would cost so I think that's what we're heading for I mean I don't see major state aid rules major concessions being given so what we're going to get is something that is you know a pale shadow of the current single market and a long way from what was promised at the time of the Brexit referendum, which was a comprehensive trade deal. So businesses you know, will need to prepare for major changes in terms of the trade relationship with the UK next year, even if there's a trade deal, because a lot of non-tariff barriers will come into play. There'll be a lot more paperwork. There'll be a lot of work to be done. You'll need customs registration numbers. You'll need to maybe need a custom declaration form. You may need to set up deferred bank payment accounts. There could be additional regulatory veterinary checks and health sets required for trade in agri-food products. Rules of origin may come into play. So the, there will be a lot of red tape, a lot of administrative and compliance procedures to go through. This is not going to be the same as we enjoy at the present time. So it, it is far, far inferior to the single market. But at least you avoid tariffs. At least you avoid quotas. And the indications from the UK is certainly initially, because they don't have to have the infrastructure in place, it'll be a very light touch regulatory regime. So businesses need to understand that. So, I mean, that's the best outcome. Oli, there's 91 as we uh, as we were at the moment against the uh, euro sterling. Does yeah. that reflect a sort of a recognition that it's just even the best deal from here is not going to be anything like we enjoy right now? Or is there a possibility that over the course of July, key moments of negotiation are good and sterling can rally from here? Or is there still just this underlying sentiment is recognising that it's going to be so different, there's going to be friction, there's going to be cost, and your sterling is appropriately priced right now for that. Well, I think the, the market's also concerned that no progress has been made to date and we may not get a deal. So, oh, okay. But, but your point is right, though. I mean, I can't see the euro going back down to 83, 84p if we get this sort of minimal trade deal. It may get back down to 87, 88p because this is not good news for the UK economy on a medium-term view. At the height of the crisis last year in terms of trying to get the withdrawal agreement through, the euro rose to 93p. So that's probably maybe a, a level people might need to bear in mind. But I do think if we get, there will be some relief if we get a trade deal in place. But I can't see sterling recovering all that lost ground. So the gains will be limited for sterling, say, going back down to maybe 87, 88p, where it's traded a lot in the last couple of years. But I don't see a major rally by sterling if we get a bare-bones trade deal. The negative consequences for the UK will still be there and a lot more increased administration and compliance costs for trading with the UK, but also for the UK trading with Europe. This is not great news for people who are involved in the export and import trade, either in Ireland or in the UK. And Sterling is reflecting that. There's no doubt about it. And I think there is a concern that there will be not long-term negative impacts for the UK economy. And Sterling has weakened this year as a result. And in terms of the over the next three or four weeks as the uh, negotiations ramp up, Obviously, some of this is very, very technical. It's uh, tariffs on this and tariffs on that. Just to be able to rise above the noise, the daily news flow, are there key topics as they are presented and said that's solved for that people should look at and say, actually, that's a good news story, that's a good news story, and that would drive sterling back down to sort of like that 87, 88 range? Or indeed, things that people that become a little bit noisier than you expected that would take us to the higher end of the range? I would look for two things. Now, and it may be September before we get there, it may not be in July, but progress in regard to state aid rules. 
how that's going to apply in the UK. Now, statehood rules are often not part of trade deals. So, I mean, the UK is a sovereign nation. Its argument is we should be allowed to support our industries as we see fit. And so I think progress in that area and then progress in terms of how we overcome this regulatory environment and level playing field. State aid rules is, is a powerful, but then we've there's progress in terms of minimum regulatory rules around, let's say, environmental issues, etc., labour laws, social protection. There's also talk that the UK may introduce into the equation we would give ground on the area of fisheries if we get some concessions in regard to access to European markets for financial services. There could well be that sort of horse trading going on. Yeah. But I think as state aid is, is, is for us, first of all, some movement on common minimum regulatory standards and then watch for some horse trading in areas like fisheries and financial services. Great. Okay, that's great to be able to rise above it for everybody because there's going to be a lot of dialogue on this and little comments coming out, so just focusing on those. And then turning to this week, Ollie, we have a short week in the US, so non-farm payrolls, which is the big employment data out of the States on Thursday. But just before we look to the impact of that on the week, we kind of finish with a bit of a the, the term risk-off phase as the stock market showed a little pause at the back end of the week. We'd had good sentiment data during the week saying that, you know, it's not V, it's not EU necessarily, but there is a recovery taking place globally. But stock markets on Thursday and Friday just took a pause on the back of yeah, the, like, the, COVID maybe, is it? The, the Arizona, yeah, the, et cetera? Kind of balance two things. They see the good data coming through. We had very good PMI data last week for the services manufacturing sector. We've had very good retail sales data. And we've had a lot of countries. It's been in the UK, the Eurozone, Australia, the United States, a common theme there in terms of economies bouncing back. But markets are deeply worried by the re-emergence of the virus in the southern states in particular, large numbers of new cases, concerns that restrictions could be reimposed. And before the recovery has a chance to get going in the US in particular, it's stopped in its tracks by the re-emergence of very, very large number of cases. And already some states are beginning to reimpose restrictions. I don't think we're heading down the road of what we saw in the spring, which is a blanket wide and economy wide restrictions on activity but certainly in parts of the states the recovery in the business sector could well be interrupted by the increase in the number of new cases and restrictions having been reimposed etc so markets are sort of looking at those two conflicting elements which is okay looks like the data are better than expected but at the same time this virus has proven far more persistent than we thought and also gaining traction again in the u.s so you see that in terms of increased volatility in stock markets in particular and as you say the stock markets last week had a good start of the week encouraged by the data but then as the week passed by and the increasing numbers of new cases in the states in particular they got increasingly nervous and the stock markets lost ground and we are likely to, I mean, stock markets have risen a lot now in the last three, three and a half months. So I think increased volatility is what we're likely to see over the next couple of months over the summer, depending on the ebb and flow of data, be it on the economy, be it in relation to the virus, etc., and possible additional stimulus measures in terms of government supports. So volatility, I think, is the name of the game in the next couple of months in terms of stock markets in particular. The currency markets remain range-bound, apart from that weakness in sterling. I mean, as we said in a number of podcasts, it's remarkable how long and how narrow the trading range has been for euro-dollar, 107 to 115, for nearly approaching two years, the autumn of 2018, and we're still right in the middle of that trading range, and very hard to say which way it will break. So the forex markets, apart from sterling, remain range-bound, but the stock markets are, are much more volatile at the present time. 
And in terms of looking at the, the actual non-farm payroll number this week, I mean, we had a stunning number last month, and we're expecting another stunning number this month, maybe as many as 3 million jobs created. But just put that in the context of the sheer damage done in March and April. I mean, there's probably still 16 million people not working who were. I mean, it's around the edges still, isn't it, this recovery? First of all, I'd warn listeners that Economist's track record is not very good in the last couple of months in predicting these figures. In May, they anticipated there'd be a fall in non-farm payrolls and a committed increase of 2.5 million. The fall they were looking for was of the order of 7 or 8 million. So they're out by 10 million, okay? So the, the forecast for this month, or say for June, is 3 million. But that's only recovering between May and June, about a quarter of the jobs lost. If we get a three million increase in June, payrolls are still 16 and a half million below where they were in March and February before the virus struck. So there's a long way to go in terms of recouping those job losses. And it would still leave the unemployment rate in the US at around 12, 12.5%. And the Fed in particular has been emphasizing this point. It's going to take a long time for the economy to recover. Social distancing measures in particular are a constraint on a recovery in business activity. And the Fed is saying it'll take two years at least, or two and a half years, before we see unemployment back down to five, five and a half percent. And even at that, you know, coming into this crisis, the, the U.S. jobless rate was at three and a half percent. So that's why central banks are saying we are going to keep very loose monetary policies in place for the next couple of years. If rates are going to do anything, they're going to go even lower for the QE. And obviously, central bankers in particular advocating further stimulus measures from governments to put the recovery on a firmer footing. So you're right, it may look great, 3 million extra jobs in June, but we still got a long way to travel before we recover the 20 million plus jobs that were lost in March and April. Uh, staggering stuff, isn't it, when you hear it like that. Ollie, thanks very much for that. Brexit, listen out for the state aid rules, the regulatory alignment. They're the, they're the two things that are probably going to drive your sterling sentiment towards 87 potentially or back towards the highs of 93 and then look out for that very volatile non-farm payroll number later on in the week on Thursday. Thank you Ollie for that. Big thanks to our customers, colleagues and listeners for joining us on this week's podcast. To stay up to date with the latest market developments, please subscribe to ARB's Market Talk on the podcast apps for iOS or Android. For those customers impacted by the pandemic, you can find detail of ARB support packages at aib.ie forward slash COVID-19. Thanks for listening to the latest edition of AIB Market Talk. Allied Irish Bank's PLC is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. First Trust Bank is a trademark of AIB Group UK PLC authorised by the Prudential Regulation Authority and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority and the Prudential Regulation Authority. Allied Irish Bank GB and Allied Irish Bank GB Savings Direct are trademarks used under licence by AIB Group UK PLC, authorised by the Prudential Regulation Authority and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority and the Prudential Regulation Authority.